Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. You should steer clear of me. I don't do romance. You wouldn't understand. Enlighten me then. Okay, O'Toole, my weekend has finally arrived where I told you months ago you were going to have to see this movie that opened this weekend. 8.6 million people went Thursday night to see it. It was the fourth largest online sales of all time. And we're talking about Fifty Shades of Grey. So did you go? Did you go, (laughs) O'Toole? I did. I wore my dark glasses. I snuck into a matinee and I opted to go on Friday the 13th instead of on Valentine's Day. Well, nobody wants to go on Valentine's Day by themselves to Fifty Shades of Grey. I think the secret to happiness is low expectations. And as you know, I could not get through the book. I know it was a trilogy. Um, I had read beforehand that there was a petition out there when all the major fans of the book were up in arms over the casting of this movie. And they got over 20,000 signatures asking Uh for Dakota Johnson and then Charlie Hunnam from um, Sons of Anarchy to be removed from the film. And they really wanted Matt Bomer and Alexis Bledel. While I was watching the movie, I thought Dakota Johnson was really vibing Alexis Bledel from one of my favorite shows of all time, The Gilmore Girls. And I have to say, I thought the leads did a terrific job. I thought Dakota Johnson was very believable playing the ingenue. And I thought Jamie Dornan, of course, from The Fall, a series you introduced me to, I thought he was great as Christian Grey. I did read some some uh, some reviews coming into our podcast, and she's getting rave reviews pretty much across the board. He is getting panned across the board, and I have to say I agree with you. I think there were awkward moments for both of them, and you know she's a pretty new actress to come onto the screen. But this, you know, the camera loves her, and she like her mother, you know, and we know who her mother is, right? Melanie Griffith. Melanie Griffith. She like her mother has this vulnerable way of looking and saying the line with her face before she utters the line. And her mother had that same quality. It's a star quality. She definitely has it, and it definitely is needed in this movie. And I thought she did an amazing job. I first saw her on TV in around 2006 when she was Miss Golden Globe. She's the daughter, of course, of Don Johnson, who I had forgotten had won the Golden Globe in 1984 for Miami Vice. And her mother won it in 88 for Working Girl. Um, I know that you've been impressed with Melanie Griffith's work as an ingenue. I have, I do. I think her work is underrated, yeah. I've never been a big fan. And perhaps my thinking on her work is partly colored because I remember when she was in that movie where she was supposed to play someone during the Holocaust. And she had given an interview and um, had mentioned that she didn't know the Holocaust had taken place until she she had been cast in this movie. (laughs) She did, yes. Johnson's grandmother, of course, is Tippi Hedren from The Birds, where she won the Golden Globe in 1964. Well, it sounds like a Drew Barrymore kind of family. So she definitely has, you know, she definitely has the DNA in her, but the camera loves her. It absolutely loves her. I just want to say a few things in defense of Jamie Dornan. I thought it was hilarious that when we first see him in the movie, he is running down the street in a gray hoodie because it looked like 
he ran from the set of The Fall, where he plays a serial killer in the <laughs> Who's same Who's always outfit, in a hoodie, yes, exactly. Right into the movie. And it's the last time we see him in a hoodie, you know, because then right. he switches over to his expensive suits. Now, by the way, he he really beefed up for this for this movie. He, you know, wanted to be rippled, et cetera. And he had to learn to walk a different way because he walks on his toes. They had to reteach him to walk on his heels. The only person I think could have played the role better, and they asked him to, and he turned it down, was um, Ryan Gosling. I think he would have been awesome in this role because he has that vulnerable yet bad boy element. You know, he saw it in the notebook, and uh, I think he could have carried it. He said he couldn't relate to the character, and he didn't want the role. It's an interesting point about his character that you find out that he was the one who was first a submissive, um, where one of his mother's friends conscripted him, I suppose, at the age of 15. And this well, relationship she seduced lasted she seduced six him. Yeah. years. It's, you know, it's pedophile. It's not okay. Right. And then we can sort of go back and forth between the movie itself and then the huge controversy around it. There's three communities that are up in arms. One is women's issues groups that say this is, you know, makes women look like property. I mean, all the all the things we've heard a million times that we don't certainly need to regurgitate here. The next thing is Christian conservatives who have called for a total boycott, which is so funny because in the Bible Belt is where the largest ticket sales for this movie uh, pre-ticket sales happened. And then the third group is the dominant submissive groups that are saying this is not a correct portrayal, that they would never take, quote, a newbie and put her in a position of committing to so much when she had not experimented at all. And I just want to say, once and for all, it's not a documentary. Frankly, like, let's look at Rocky. I know people who have trained for to be to be uh, fighters and they're like, you know, Rocky made them cringe. You know, you don't have to get it right. It's a story. It's a fantasy. It's a story. And what's the difference between that and Pretty Woman? When Pretty Woman came out, I went back and looked at the reviews and I love the one of Roger Ebert. I have to read this because it's so interesting in comparison. Because Pretty Woman stars Richard Gere, Hollywood's most successful set, it's about his character falling in love with a prostitute. It's astonishing. The Pretty Woman is such an innocent movie that it's the sweetest and most open-hearted love fable since The Princess Bride. Roger Ebert wrote this? And that's what he wrote about Pretty Woman, where a prostitute meets a rich man who pays her $2,500 she almost gets raped by his business associate. If you, no offense, but if Pretty Woman can come out and be the sweetest and most open-hearted love fable since The Princess Bride, then everybody can have their little fun time with, uh, with this movie. I mean, I just, I just can't get into the politics. You had sent me the links to um, some of these protests and how they were asking people to donate $50 to women's shelters. All, of course very good causes. So I couldn't help but think of the real-life case of Dakota Johnson's grandmother, Tippi Hedren, all the stories that you hear about how she was stalked by Alfred Hitchcock. After um, all the hubbub around um, the premiere of Fifty Shades of Grey, I immediately thought of two much older movies. One um, I saw not that long ago um, and thought it was extremely disturbing and difficult to watch was, of course, Last Tango in Paris. As you know, Last Tango in Halifax is much more my speed. I was expecting something more in tone with uh, Last Tango in Paris or Nine and a Half Weeks. Written and directed by Adrian Lyne, who has brought us some of the most talked about movies of their day. Fatal Attraction, Flashdance, Indecent Proposal. And this could just be my flawed memory, or perhaps I've gotten more morally depraved over the years. I remember Last Tango in Paris and Nine and a Half Weeks 
both having a sense of self-debasement. And I know that there were scenes I've heard that were in the book that were definitely left out of the movie. But the character played by Dakota Johnson, she doesn't seem as though it's upsetting the DNA of her life. She passes her exams at school. She graduates. She insists on going home and visiting her mother. Um, having met him is not um, even really impacting her scheduling, let alone um, her view of herself. And you can see her morph into, you know, this virginal character that starts off into this butterfly of, okay, I've got my mojo now, and I'm, you know, looking across the table at him as an equal in a way that uh, was not clearly not there at the very beginning. So you see her evolution during this first of the trilogies to, um, to somebody who's, you know, definitely got her own mind and her own thoughts about how she feels about all these things. It reminded me a little bit of Anne Hathaway in The Devil Wears Prada, where she's also got the wide-eyed look yeah. and the bangs yeah. and the sweater set on her first day of the job and becomes a little bit more astute in negotiating, should we right, say. Right, exactly, exactly. I guess I'm saying two things. One is I would like to think that society has made some progress. But the other thing is after reading about the protests, I wondered if I missed something in the film. Because not only was it consensual, but it was contractual, not even an adhesion contract. Well, she never signed the contract, and she never said Which she would. Which goes and to show that she was the better negotiator. So it, and at no point did I worry about the Anastasia Steele character not being in control of her destiny. From the get-go, they both oh, no, agree totally. that he's the one who's probably messed up. And, um, you know, it's not something where he tries to imply that, um, you know, she's the one with the issues or she shouldn't be so hung up on these things or, you know, he calls for total honesty in the relationship. You know, they're totally honest with each other. There's a lot of things about that. It's, it really is a love story. And there's also family values. It's just that we don't get to judge them. Part of what the uproar that you're hearing is a judgment based on what this means, that she doesn't really want that, that it's not really getting her off. When some of what I saw in the movie, she was totally, totally enjoying the sexual experience that he was he was taking her on, and she was participating in it and taking him too. And so I, I just feel like we have to, as a, as a community, stop judging what others' sexual preferences are in a way that says, well, if she likes that, then she, that, you know, she wasn't really given an opportunity to know. You know, the truth is, it's a novel made into a movie, and if you went because you wanted to see what it was about and you wanted to sort of explore fantasies you've had that you've never actually executed, then good for you, you know? And if it's not quite right and if it's, you know, if the community that does practice this type of of, uh, of sex uh, says, look, you know, there's some things wrong with the movie, then do your due diligence. I can't see any movie that's come out where it's not a documentary where you couldn't rip it apart based on, well, you know, it's not really how it works out because, you know, and this really is a Pygmalia. It's, it's pretty woman. It's pretty woman without the money on the, on the table. And I know that there was a lot of commentary there saying that nobody should put the idea into anyone's head that if you became a hooker, you could look like Julia Roberts and you'll meet people totally that look true. like Richard Totally Gere. true, totally um, true. But this is the thing. It's, okay, not only was it contractual, but since she was negotiating literally at arm's length 
you know, over a conference room table, never well, signed the, the contract. Who had the power at that table? She was totally in control at that table. Not totally. only was she totally in control, but he was making concessions unbidden. So, for example, when he looks at her and said, you know what, I'm just going to toss in a once a week date night. She's the first person to ever meet his family. She meets his mother and he's okay with that. He was loving the way he felt with her in a way he hadn't felt before. And that's called true love and fabulous for him. You go, Gray. Were you ever at any point in this movie worried for her? No, never. Yeah. No, what are you kidding? No, it's right out of the bodyguard. Of course not. She, <laughs> Whenever she was in his care, nothing bad could possibly happen. When he takes her flying, who doesn't think of the remake of Thomas Crown Affair or Out of Africa? One thing when... Christian uh, Grey's driver appeared in the movie for a minute there. I thought it was Lance Armstrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, he probably could use the money. You know what? I'm sure he could use the money, and maybe he could have ridden a bike or something. Absolutely. When I think about other movies in general and the slacker genre that has been with us way too long, um, it is so sad to me the characters in whom they're supposed to be infatuated. So, for example, knocked up anyone. You know, it seems like for years women are supposed to be going for the guy who is pudgy, unemployed, lives with his mother, high. You know, nothing to write home about. And here, perhaps because it was directed by a woman, you have a guy who's in great shape, has stomach definition, has a job, is a 27-year-old billionaire. I'd fly in a plane with him any day. You know, there's just sometimes you want someone to take over your life. I don't know about you, but I have a very busy, very big life. And sometimes I would love someone else to be in charge of it. Absolutely. This is the first of this type of movie that's directed by a woman. And I feel as if that's one of the reasons why I liked it. It's true. And this reminded me much more of Sex in the City. You've got a city. You've got nice yeah. clothes. Now, there are a couple moments in Fifty Shades of Grey. Like, for example, when he says, you know, you've been drinking. And she says, yes, I'm drunk. And he's like, okay, I'm on my way. Okay, just once. First of all, I, I, I'm not somebody who gets drunk, but I would love to have somebody say, don't move, I'm on my way to save you. <laughs> just once <laughs> in my life, I would love that. Not that I'm needed saving. I'm not saying that. But there is, you know, so there are, there were moments of, of, you know, and lines in the movie when he says, you know, um, when he's totally jealous that she's going to see her mother and he did, she didn't tell him. As, as I know the feminist friends that I have are, are like, really? But the truth is there's something very sweet about that on some level. There really, really is. We should mention Jennifer Ely plays her mother. And of course, she's also the daughter of a legendary actress, Rosemary Harris. Um, now, where have we seen her before, by oh, the way? I, she's had work done on her face, but I know I've seen her in something. And I thought, yes. I can't First recognize her. you saw her with your boyfriend, Colin Firth, in Pride and Prejudice. And oh, okay, that's right. You saw, saw her yeah. again in the King's Speech, where um, she played Jeffrey right. Rush. Why did she do? Wife. Why did these women do this work that I can't recognize them? She was great in Pride and Prejudice. She was great, and her mother, of course, I saw once on Broadway with Lauren Bacall in a Noel Coward play, Waiting in the Wings. I mean, what a treat that was! But, um, but for example, in Fifty Shades of Grey, she plays the mother, and she misses her daughter's college graduation because her young husband breaks his foot, and she. No, she misses her daughter's college graduation because she's a narcissist and can't be bothered to go. But um, she claims it's because her husband broke his foot and you know how he is. He can't be left alone because he can't fend for himself and he can't do anything. And later you see him 
And um, you're thinking that able-bodied man couldn't be left alone and she couldn't go to her daughter's graduation. But then there are these moments in the movie where the lines are so bad. When she stumbles into his office. We see that in movie after movie where women apparently cannot remain upright, whereas you <laughs> never see men stumbling. If there's this weakness in this film, to me it's the script. And they, all of the actors learned the script in five days. <laughs> when you can learn a script in five days, maybe it's not good enough. I don't know, I'm just saying. The thing that I thought was odd were all his female blonde Stepford secretaries. I thought this movie had a lot more humor than I would have expected. So for example, when they're negotiating, he's mentioning certain items and she says, nope. Perhaps because I thought the book had no plot and I couldn't get through it. Um, the script did not bother me at all. There was one line that really stood out as clunky. He's giving her a ride home and he says, email me when you're ready to go or pick me up. And she says, I can't. Remember, my computer's broken. And I sat there thinking, okay, seriously, she doesn't have a smartphone where she could text him. Why does she have to email him? And why does she have to remind us that the computer's broken? And then, of course, they cut to the inside of her apartment where there is a computer installer giving her a new Apple MacBook Yeah, it was Pro. a setup for the, it was a setup for that, the next scene. That, that was hit, clunky. Yeah. But I thought Dakota Johnson yeah. did a, I thought she did a great job. Again, perhaps, I don't know, it was my low expectations, but I thought she really pulled off the role. I'm so excited because I was afraid that you were going to say to me, I can't believe you made me go to see this movie and I'm never <laughs> speaking to you again. And at the same time, there's so many things we could talk about you know, surrounding the outside of this movie. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. Women can rule the box office. Obviously, the book was written by a woman. The movie was directed by a woman. The screenplay was written by a woman, Kelly Marcel. Do you know what the last script was she wrote before this one? Saving Mr. Banks. You know, the whole purpose of movies is to entertain and clearly, 91 million people seeing this movie are going there to be entertained in some way. You know, when the writer of the book, by the way, she knows she's not a good writer. She never said she was. She just happened to pick a topic that people were really interested in, and she wove it in a way that, you know, women were found exciting. So, but it's, it's not any bigger than that. It's just, it's just simply a book to read as entertainment. It is not a manual in how to be involved in that kind of sexual activity. It's none of those things. It's just a book. And this is just a movie. And Dakota Johnson is amazing in it. And everybody loves a really rich person's movie where you get to see how the rich and famous live in a way that you never will. It is the fourth biggest seller out of the gate. The Hunger Games, you know, sits at number one, uh, which... I just think it's so interesting because these are women characters that are really doing huge sales. And if you look at Hollywood as a whole, it's so male-oriented that it's surprising that the huge hubbub of what's going on now happens to be centered around female characters. Again, I expected there to be scenes that I would have to look away from. Um, and unlike the girl with the dragon tattoo, where there were some violent scenes where I thought I'm going to have to fast forward. And unlike even the movie Bridesmaids, which I thought was unwatchable. I did too. I thought they did a good job of making a glossy movie. I enjoyed the soundtrack. Yeah, See, I'm, low so expectations. I'm so glad. So wait, I have to ask, uh, Miss O'Toole, would you like to thank me for, because you would never have gone without me. <laughs> I'm not going without me.